Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Well, here we are. It's January 4th of the Savage Nation podcast. Now, we had a big one on Friday, which I hope you'll listen to at some point. It was a wrap-up of the of the 2020 year and a roll over into 2021. Most of you were not listening to anything on Friday. Uh, but today is really the official opening of the Savage Nation podcast and, of course, the news. So here we are. And today's title is the COVID concentration camps that New York State is proposing under fascist Cuomo. I got to tell you, I've lived through everything in my lifetime. I know about medical tyrants, but I never thought that the Soviet Union would come to America so quickly as it has. A Democrat in New York State has put forward a law that would put people, he doesn't say COVID, he says it's uh, Clause 2120-A of this bill that this fascist Democrat has put forward in New York State for COVID concentration camps. But it's, it's, of course, doesn't say it. Hitler never said that he was going to exterminate the Jews. He only said they were going in there for a shower. So this bastard makes it sound so clean and legitimate, just like Nazis do. This is what they did in the Soviet Union. You ask any ex-Soviet what they feared the most, and it was psychiatrists, who could lock you up and put you away as a political dissident. Read the Gulag Gachapelago by Solzhenitsyn and see what Como is up to here, that bastard. Listen to this. Here is the actual writing of the law. The public health law is amended by adding a new section 2120 to read as follows. See how clean it sounds? Heil Hitler. 2120-A, removal and detention of cases, contacts, and carriers who are or may be a danger to public health. Other orders. One, the provisions of this section shall be utilized in the event that the governor, say the Fuhrer, declares a state of health emergency due to an epidemic of any communicable disease. Let me pause right here. The homeless filth in New York and other cities have carried tuberculosis, cholera, and other diseases for years. How come they didn't round them up in an emergency decree? How come they didn't remove, remove and detain the filthy scum in the streets who are beating people up in New York? Now they're aiming this at the white middle class. You know it and I know it. Listen to how they try to make their skirts sound so clean. I'm reading from the actual bill written by a Democrat in New York State for COVID concentration camps. Upon determining by clear and convincing evidence that the health of others is or may be endangered by a case, contact or carrier, or suspected case, contact or carrier of a contagious disease, by the way, does that include AIDS? That in the opinion of the governor, the governor now, Governor Meatball now, after consultation with the commissioner, may pose an imminent and significant threat to the public health, resulting in severe morbidity or high mortality. The governor, meaning the Fuhrer, or his or her delegee, including but not limited to the commissioner or the heads of local health departments, you hear some quack health department head, may order the removal and or detention of such a person or of a group of such persons by issuing 
a single order identifying such persons either by name or by a reasonably specific description of the individuals a grouping detained. That could be all white men with guns in, in New York State, for example. That could be a public health danger. After all, the AMA has declared guns a public health problem, right? They could say that um, conservative uh, beliefs are a public health problem, and they could round you up. You think I'm kidding you? Do you realize how crazy this is? Listen to where they're going to put you. Such person or group of persons shall be detained in a medical facility or other appropriate facility or premises designated by the Fuhrer, I mean governor, or his or her delegee and complying with subdivision five of this section. My friends, this was done in communist China. It's being done to this day. It's, it was done in the ex-Soviet Union. Ask anyone who escaped the Soviet Union. There are still some of them left. If you're a young Russian, ask your mother or father what went on. It was done by Hitler, who, by the way, Hitler did not start by arresting Jews. Do you know who the first people were put away? They were the mentally defective. And he said he was putting them in, in facilities for their own safety. He first rounded up mentally ill people and put them in hospitals before gassing them. Governor Cuomo should be taken out and arrested for this. And the congressman who wrote this should be put in prison for doing this. This is the most un-American piece of legislation ever proposed in the history of this country. I've never seen anything like this. And it's being done under the guise of the public health law. One other thing before I leave this, because this is too big a topic to leave. You know, medical tyranny using fake data is bad enough, which is what they're doing with COVID. I'll tell you more about that at another time. But now they're going to the next level of insanity. Now they're going to the next insanity. Because all dictatorships make up laws and impose them which override basic human rights under the guise of protecting the people. Using the pandemic to embrace laws that permit yanking people out of their homes is not only frightening, there's actually a movie on Netflix about exactly the scenario in a so-called fictitious dystopian future. They're using health to do this. Remember, 9-11 gave rise to lawmakers instituting the legal right of court systems to detain people without charge for unlimited periods of time and also to be able to tap into private communications of all kinds. And by the way, this 9-11 tyranny is still in place. They're still spying on us. I want to remind all of you stupid liberals, government interference and restrictions already placed on Americans are in a direct conflict with the stated notion of a free society. By the way, you haven't heard one word from the ACLU, have you? Because they're a bunch of left-wing scum. Where is the ACLU on this? The answer is nowhere to be found because they agree with it. The very same ACLU that screamed about don't confine people with AIDS when they were spreading the disease amongst the gay community to each other. Do you remember when there was a thing called super spreaders amongst people with HIV? They were called germ bug chasers. Do you remember that people were purposely getting AIDS? I don't know if any of you remember this. They were called bug chasers. They went out and found people with HIV and had sex with them just to get the disease. I don't know if you know any of this. They were never rounded up because the ACLU said it was a violation of their civil rights. Diane Feinstein never closed the bathhouses in San Francisco during the height of the AIDS epidemic. She said it was their right of free association. 
the statute states that contagious diseases and it doesn't even define which diseases for which the state could come after you. It does not limit the contagions to COVID. What is it limited to? Could it be gun violence? As I said to you earlier, could it be political opinion that's considered violent? Can the state come after you and put you into a concentration camp if you have the flu? It's contagious. Hepatitis kills. It is contagious. Mononucleosis, a kissing disease, can potentially kill. Should all the kids in college be uh, rounded up? Mononucleosis is highly contagious. It can lead to meningitis, liver disease, heart infection, and large spleen. Maybe furacomo can round up all kids with mononucleosis. Meningitis on college campuses is contagious. It can kill. Herpes is highly contagious and can be transmitted to a pregnant patient causing problems with the fetus. Should they round up people with herpes? Commandant Cuomo? Papillomaviruses are contagious and can lead to cancers and kill. Should you now inspect young women for papillomavirus and put them in papilloma concentration camps? Syphilis and gonorrhea are highly contagious. Not treated properly, they can lead to death. Should you round up all of the clap cases and throw them into a clap camp? Governor Cuomo, how about SIF camps? Shall I go on, Governor Cuomo? You are a disgrace and an outrage to New York State. And by the way, he should not be allowed to get away with this. How come this was not on the news all over the place? Why? Because they're not the Savage Nation podcast. This is Dr. Michael Savage saying, pay very close attention to the liberal fascists, because if you don't, they'll throw you into a dark, cold place. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Have you become a victim of the timeshare trap? You think there's no way out? Well, Chuck McDowell, founder of Wesley Financial Group, has helped over 35,000 families out of financial hardship by getting them out of bad timeshares, and they may be able to help you too. Listen, if your timeshare agreement goes on forever, if you were told timeshares are a great investment or your maintenance fees will never go up, you need to get the facts about timeshare cancellation. For over 10 years, Wesley Financial Group has been dedicated to helping folks get out of a lifetime of debt by canceling their timeshares. So they created a free timeshare exit information kit that reveals how the timeshare industry works and your options for cancellation. To get your free timeshare exit information kit, simply go to iCancelTimeshare.com. That's iCancelTimeshare.com. I'll say it one more time, iCancelTimeshare.com. Thank you very much. ICancelTimeshare.com. Okay, the Trump tape. Is it as damning as uh, some websites are saying? Is it Don Trump making him into some kind of gangster criminal? I have no idea why anyone would take that position. When you consider the fact that this was a highly edited tape and, uh, You know, when I see that Bernstein is saying that the Georgia Trump tape is far worse than Watergate, when you see it's Bernstein, a discredited, filthy, disgusting left-wing hacker who's lived on the fumes of Watergate all these years, and then I see it run on the Drudge Report, Trump caught on tape trying to rig results, commander and thief, threatens officials with crimes. Say, oh my God, they got him. He's, and then they show a picture of him like Don Corleone and then The Godfather? 
if you don't read between the headline, beyond the headlines, you say, oh, my God, they got him. But actually, that's four minutes of a one hour and some odd two minute conversation stolen, by the way, illegally. The real crime here is who illegally recorded the president speaking to the Georgia secretary of state. Who did this to him? It had to be someone inside the Georgia secretary of state's office or somebody within the White House's inner circle. Again, who did this? And then who edited it down to four minutes? The scumbag Bernstein and the filth on the left wing? Because in my opinion, the recording of this conversation was not really that bad for Trump. If you listen to the whole one hour and two minute conversation, what Trump was saying that he knows there's over a half a million fraudulent votes in the state of Georgia, it's pretty clear that's why there's a new runoff there. Because they stacked the votes, they stuffed the votes, they had illegal aliens vote. Trump does not want this to drag out any longer, and he'll settle at 11,780 votes of the half a million that was stolen from him. Of course, the left-wing media has already spun this as if it's Trump trying to strong-arm the Georgia Secretary of State, and they only had you listen to the doctored four-minute piece of the whole one-hour and two-minute conversation. Now, I'm going to play you the four-minute edited version. We can't play you the whole one. But when you listen to this edited version, you too start to believe that the socialist left, like Bernstein, is 100% correct, when in fact they're 100% dirty. The left is getting crazier by the day, and I really don't understand why the Drudge Report would go so far to the left. I can understand taking a position that is somewhat in the middle of the ground, but to, to run to stuff like headlines like Trump is going to escape to Scotland, he's desperate, he's losing immunity, political outrage after leak, could face legal liability. This is more of the Mueller report. This is more of the big lie against Donald Trump. It began from the day he was nominated right until now when he's leaving office. It's a disgrace to live in this and to live through this right now. And it has to stop. Georgia was clearly stolen from Trump by the most corrupt machine in the country next to the state of California. I would have to say the top three corrupt states in the country would have to be Georgia, New York State and California. How many illegal aliens voted in that election? How many votes were tampered with? And who stole this tape? Who listened in illegally and who edited this down to four minutes? That's the real crime here. Well, here's some other news that we have to cover for you on the Savage Nation podcast. The missing flu riddle. Influenza has been renamed COVID, Maverick Epidemiologist says. Now, I have to comment on this for one reason. Because he's not a Maverick Epidemiologist. He's actually got a great background in epidemiology. He's not one of these fake ones. This guy is top of the heap, and we're going to cover that in great detail at another time. And uh, he says that as influenza levels continue catering, some cite COVID measures, even as COVID rates have multiplied nearly sevenfold since the spring in spite of enhanced mitigation policies. So influenza levels are low. And so the people who are supporting this are saying that's because people are washing hands, staying away from each other and wearing masks. Okay. But epidemiologist Newt Witkowski thinks he can answer the riddle. He is the former head of biostatistics, epidemiology, and research design at Rockefeller University. It doesn't get much better than that. Okay, he's the former head of biostatistics, epidemiology, and research design at Rockefeller U. 
And he says, influenza has been renamed COVID in large part. I'm going to pause the story at this point. Here's some other stories that should get your morning off to a good start. Don't get mad at me. Dog removed from police handler after video shows Vacaville police officer punching his own canine partner. Uh, We're going to say this is fake news. It's on tape. It's on tape. It's a Vacaville, California police officer punching his canine partner during a training exercise. Can you believe what's going on? Biden team defends Yellen making millions in speaking fees from big corporations. Which way do you want to play that one? So Biden supports her. Oh, it's fine. She's got great experience. And the fact is, she's not going to enforce anything. The uptick rule will not be put back. Nothing will be put back to stop this mad speculation that brought us to the Great Depression of 1929. And it's going to happen again. It will happen again. In fact, this probably has happened. This is a fake economy from the top to the bottom. So there it is. Federal Reserve Chairman Janet Yellen. There she is. She received nearly $9 million in speaker fees. One million alone from CITI, C-I-T-I, for nine speeches to that bank. Other companies giving her big bucks for speeches have included Goldman Sachs, Google, City National Bank, UBS, Citadel, LLC, Barclays, and Salesforce. Isn't that nice to learn? Now, what do they need the speeches for? They need the speeches? It's called uh, payola. What do you think it's called? So she doesn't regulate them. Are you kidding me? She gave more than 50 speeches to the companies, according to the Wall Street Journal. Now, the fact of the matter is, the campaign leading up to the uh, election was all a sham as well. Remember Elizabeth Warren, the commie? Well, Elizabeth Warren called Yellen an outstanding choice to lead the Treasury. (laughs) So who who are you going to turn to here? In the past, Elizabeth Warren had previously complained about a revolving door for officials to go back and forth between government jobs and lucrative positions in the private sector. What else is new? Now, the Clintons, of course, provided the modern blueprint for doing this. Former President Barack the criminal Obama has made a small fortune on his own. And uh, Bloomberg reported this week that Obama recently gave an address to private equity firm Carlyle Group LP. That speech follows up another one he gave to clients of Northern Trust Corp for $400,000 last month. Obama is expected to be paid another $400,000 for a speech at a health care conference sponsored by Cantor Fitzgerald next week. Now you understand the rest of the story. Democrats, Republicans, this is bribery. It's not illegal because politicians do not call it bribery. We the people are being screwed once again. So... I'm not against rich people. I'm not a poor person. But I look very carefully at the Big Apple billionaires who are booming, whose wealth ballooned by $81 billion to more than $600 billion during the pandemic. And I said, well, that's interesting. What did they do right? And I read on and on and on into the article. And guess what? What happened? How did they make so much money? You're not going to believe this. The meteoric... Windfalls came largely because of the trillions of dollars in federal pandemic grants, which shored up the economy when offices and businesses closed, plants shuttered, and millions of workers lost their jobs. Well, guess where the money went? The money that was supposed to go to regular people and small businesses were sucked up by the biggest businesses and underwrote a huge boom 
on Wall Street, especially in the value of privately held corporations. Let me tell you something. You don't have to be a socialist to understand this is sickening. I am an ordinary man who worked my way up from poverty to success. This is disgusting. Every dollar that they took should be given back, but they're not going to give it back. Are you kidding me? Frank Clemente, executive director of Americans for Tax Fairness, said, never before has America seen such an accumulation of wealth in so few hands. As tens of millions of Americans suffer from the health and economic ravages of this pandemic, a few hundred billionaires add to their massive fortunes. Well, if they made their money by providing a product or a service that someone needed, I wouldn't say a a word about it. Something is wrong with this picture. When guys like this could cash in on PPP money and become richer than God himself. Pandemic making healthcare leaders billionaires. I can go on with the people who made the money. Mike Bloomberg, the city's richest person, shot up by $6.8 billion. Can you believe this? A 14% spike. How is that possible? President Trump did quite well as his net worth grew by $420 million, jumping from $2.1 bill to $2.5 billion. New Mets owner and hedge fund titan Steve Cohen is among the billionaires in New York who had a great 2020, adding $700 million to his pile. Buoyed by trillions in federal COVID relief largesse, Wall Street power brokers notch some of the largest gains. Stephen Schwartzman of Blackstone Group fattened his wallet by some $5 billion, going to $21 billion, a 34% gain. J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon, his holdings went from $1.2 billion to $1.5 billion, a 30% increase. Well, my friends, that's frightening, isn't it? Some actually lost money. Christidis supermarket owner John Katsimatidis, who also owns WABC oil and real estate holdings, actually lost money. His portfolio went down by $453 million, uh, only down to $2.8 billion. Hedge fund icon Ray Dalio, author of the 2017 philosophical bestseller, shed more than a billion dollars to drop to about $17 billion. Why did that happen? That's because Dalio's $158 billion Bridgewater Associates bet was wrong. Got hammered for the second straight year on bad bets, so some of them even lose money. Leveraged buyout king and Revlon tycoon Ron Perelman took a financial aid. His balance sheet lost some $450 million to $6 billion, a 7% plunge. Perelman's wealth built on credit and high-stakes deals has been hurt by losses from his troubled New York-based cosmetics company. But Carl Icahn's nest egg grew by more than half a billion to roughly $14 billion. A 3.8% jump. How about our good friend George Soros, the man who funds socialists and terrorists around America? I call him terrorists because to me, Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization. He funded them for a long time. George Soros, he added $300 million to his fortune. Went up to $9 billion, again with 3.6%. Cablevision and Madison Square Garden Baron Charles Dolan saw about a half billion dollar benefit, going from 4.6 to 5 bill. Media tycoon Barry Diller's fortune soared by 1.65 bill to 4.65 bill. How is this possible? I'll read it again. The meteoric windfalls came largely because of the trillions of dollars in federal pandemic grants, which were made up to shore up the economy when offices and businesses were closed, plants were shuttered, and millions of workers lost their jobs. And so the money helped Wall Street, it helped billionaires. 
and it only provided only modest short-term aid to regular people and small businesses. I'm sorry, my friends. This is going to lead to a call for taxation on the rich. And you know what? Not everybody took money or would make money from COVID-19 handouts. But many in the conservative movement took plenty of money from the COVID-19 handouts. You need the list? I'll publish it for you one day. Some of the biggest mouths in conservative talk radio, not including me, made fortunes during this COVID epidemic. That's another wonderful story for the new year, isn't it? Well, it's not so wonderful to me. It's sickening, actually. It brings out the worst in mankind. Meanwhile, in Portland, Oregon, the communist stupid idiot, useless idiot Ted Wheeler Mayer pledges to push back harder against Antifa after New Year's Eve riot. Are you listening to this? No matter what he did with these scum-sucking vermin, the anarchists, Antifa, and BLM are still rioting, breaking things, and burning things. He gave a news conference Friday night saying it will be necessary to use additional tools and push the limits of the tools we already have to bring the criminal destruction of violence to an end. Trump tried to bring it to an end, and they threw them out of Portland. So all I can say to you is, Ted Wheeler, you ought to resign. Hang your head and shame, Ted Wheeler, and just go away. COVID cops in the UK police state. This is what a police state looks like. 2020 Britain's COVID cops. They're stalking dog walkers. They're finding unauthorized car journeys. They're telling Britons to snatch on their neighbors. They're arresting protesters in Britain's sacred space for free speech. These are just some examples of British policing during 2020, the year of the Chinese virus. This is all a result of Prime Minister Boris Johnson passing the emergency coronavirus legislation on March 23rd when he gave police expanded powers to enforce it, telling people in Britain, if you don't follow the rules, the police will have the powers to enforce them, including fines and dispersing gatherings. Now, this is a so-called conservative MP, Boris Johnson. Now you know why I'm still banned in Britain, Jim. December 26th, Dateline. Washington Post warns Joe Biden pandemonium at the border if he opens up the floodgates. They warn Biden that he must also avoid triggering a new humanitarian crisis at the Mexican border, featuring unauthorized Central Americans and Mexicans streaming north. That's to the, according to the Washington Post editorial board in a column dated December 24th. Even they're concerned that Biden could open up the floodgates. Dateline, New York City, December 26th. New York Post editorial board, China's deadly COVID cover-up was worse than we thought. Dateline, Washington, D.C., December 26th. Are never Trumpers the future of the GOP? I don't know what the future of the GOP is. I have another press release for you on fake data to justify medical tyranny, and I don't think we have the time for it today. I think we have too many things to handle here. Burn the mask protest temporarily closes Fresno Trader Joe's. Big story. They're burning masks even in the Bay Area in Fresno. Can you believe this? You know, I just got a call today, Jim, from a friend of mine in Los Angeles in the film business who took his father, who's in his 80s, to Manhattan Beach. He said, oh, it was beautiful. I wanted my dad to get some fresh air. I said, wait, I thought the whole state was shut down. He said, no, Orange County is not shut down. We went to the beach. The restaurants are open for outdoor dining. I said, wait a minute. What is this? Why is everyone in Marin County having to suffer because of clusters inside immigrant communities. Why don't you just close down the immigrant communities instead of closing down the whole county? They haven't figured that out yet, Jim. So my last note on this, 
that I think I should mention is epidemiology is not rocket science. People think, oh, epidemiologist. As someone who has a PhD with a portion of it in epidemiology, for real, from a great university, let me tell you something. Most epidemiologists, most epidemiologists can't think. They're just number crunchers. Most epidemiologists are bean counters. Creativity in epidemiology comes in the ability to think around the numbers and think through the numbers, not just cite statistics. Because the dummies who are bean counters with epidemiology degrees are not thinking about the long-term effects of what they're actually doing. And that's all I want to say on this today on the Savage Nation podcast. And now let's move on to the next item on the agenda. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. The tape you are about to hear is an example of what was done in communist Russia, what is done in China to political dissidents. Vermin in the media, like the Washington Post, like Carl Bernstein, that used up piece of garbage hack, took a selectively edited, stolen transcript of a one-hour conversation by the president, which was supposed to be confidential with the Georgia Secretary of State, and chopped it up to make it sound like he was trying to blackmail him or bribe him. you got to listen to this to hear what communism actually sounds like. Listen. We have won this election in Georgia based on all of this. And there's, there's nothing wrong with, with saying that, Brad. You know, I mean, having, the, having a correct, you, the people of Georgia are angry. And these numbers are going to be repeated on Monday night, along with others that we're going to have by that time, which are much more substantial even. And the people of Georgia are angry. The people of the country are angry. And there's nothing wrong with saying that, you know, uh, that you've recalculated. Well, Mr. President, the challenge that you have is the data you have is wrong. Now, do you think it's possible that they uh, shredded ballots in uh, Fulton County? Because that's what the rumor is. And also that Dominion took out machines. Uh, that Dominion is really moving fast to get rid of their uh, machinery. Do you know anything about that? Because that's illegal. This is Ryan Germany. No, Dominion is not. Um, moved any machinery out of Fulton County? We're having well, but no, but, but have they moved? Have they have they moved the inner parts of the machines and replaced them with other parts? No. You sure, Ryan? I'm sure. You should want to have an accurate election, and you're a Republican. We believe, but we do have an accurate election. No, I no, you don't. No, no, you don't. You don't have. You don't have. Not even close. You got, you're off by hundreds of thousands of votes. You know what they did and you're not reporting it. That's a, you know, that's a criminal, that's a criminal offense. And, and, you know, you can't let that happen. That's, that's a big risk to you and to Ryan, your lawyer. That's a big risk. But they are shredding ballots, in my opinion, based on what I've heard. And they are removing machinery uh, and they're moving it as fast as they can both of which are criminal fines, and you can't let it happen, and you are letting it happen. You know, I mean, I'm notifying you that you're letting it happen. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. So, so tell me, 
Brad, what are we going to do? We won the election, and it's not fair to take it away from us like this. And it's going to be very costly in many ways. And I think you have to say that you're going to reexamine it, and you can reexamine it, but, but reexamine it with people that want to find answers, not people that don't want to find answers. Uh, for instance, I'm hearing Ryan, and he's probably... I'm sure a great lawyer and everything, but he's making statements about those ballots that he doesn't know. But he's making them with such, he, he did make them with surety, but now I think he's less sure because the answer is they all went to Biden. And that alone wins us the election by a lot, you know. So. Mr. President, um, you have people that submit information and we have our people that submit information and then it comes before the court, and the court then has to make a determination. We have to stand by our numbers. We believe our numbers are right. Well, under law, you're not allowed to give faulty election results, okay? You're not allowed to do that, and that's what you've done. This is a faulty election result. And honestly, this should go very fast. You should meet tomorrow, because you have a big election election coming up, and because of what you've done to the president, you know, the people of, of uh, Georgia know that this was a scam, and because of what you've done to the president, a lot of people aren't going out to vote. And a lot of Republicans are going to vote negative because they hate what you did to the president. Okay? They hate it. And they're going to vote. And if you would be respected, if really respected, if this thing could be straightened out before the election. You have a big election coming up on Tuesday. This is a repeat of history. This is a repeat of the Mueller pogrom against Trump. This is a repeat about the big lie about Russia controlling Trump. This is a repeat about every lie told about Trump. And they're doing it on the cusp of the most important election in history, which is after the presidential election, which is the Georgia runoff, where if the communists get control of those two Senate seats, Kamala Harris will run this country like a concentration camp. What you're about to hear is a hack from the Watergate era, someone who is basically from the crypt of the uh, socialist past. Carl Bernstein is a useless leftover hack from the Watergate era, still trying to live on the fumes of the Nixon years, saying that the Trump tape, which is an edited stolen tape, is worse than Watergate. No, Carl, you're worse than Watergate. Let's listen. It's not deja vu. This is something far worse than occurred in Watergate. We have both a criminal president of the United States in Donald Trump and a subversive president of the United States at the same time in this one person subverting the very basis of our democracy and willing to act criminally in that subversion. Carl Bernstein is a criminal, in my opinion, and a subversive, in my opinion. He has been both a criminal and a subversive, in my opinion, ever since the Watergate era, which is why he is still employed and is still listened to. Who would listen to this criminal subversive other than psychotics? The next soundbite on the Savage Nation podcast is Kamala Harris, as you well know, unqualified at any speed. She only pulled 2% during the primaries, and now she's going to be president after they put uh, the, the, the psycho in a, in a wheelchair into his uh, old age home. She is now saying that Trump's call to Raffensperger was a bald, bald-faced, bold abuse of power. She should know very, very well what a bold lie is and what abuse of power is, since that is how she came to power to begin with. Let's listen. Have you all heard about that recorded conversation? 
Well, it was, yes, certainly the voice of desperation. Most certainly that. And it was a bald, bald-faced, bold abuse of power by the President of the United States. I don't know where she recorded this, outside some car rallies, some car rave, some thugs in cars blowing horns. That's where she belongs. But nevertheless, this person who comes from the most corrupt political machine in American history, far worse than anything we've ever seen out of the San Francisco machine that has destroyed this once great golden state and turned this golden state into a beholden state, has the nerve to say that what Trump did was an abuse of power. I rest my case. The next soundbite is one that'll have your jaw drop to show you the level of stupidity on the Democrat side. Here is Representative Emanuel Cleaver, who is himself a cousin to an exiled Black Panther leader, commenting by ending a prayer with a men and a women, thinking he's being politically smart and politically correct. He's being politically moronic. The word amen does not refer to gender, Congressman Cleaver. The word amen refers to the Hebrew for so be it. No reference to gender, dummy. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names, by many different faiths. A man and a woman. You hear how stupid this person is? You hear why the country's in such trouble? They have a moron like this, trying to be so cool, a man and a woman, moron thinking he's making a gender statement, when a man is Hebrew for so be it, you moron you. The next soundbite's even better than the dummy rep Cleaver. Here's Dr. Mansef Slui, the former Vax company executive who resigned in order to push the Vax upon us, saying that the new strain of coronavirus in the U.S. should be under control with this vaccine. He didn't say it would be because he well knows, as anyone in virology knows, that we don't know whether this vaccine will even touch this new strain of coronavirus. We all know that flu vaccines at their best were only 45 to 50 percent effective because the flu virus, like all viruses, continuously mutate. So when they create a vaccine for flu strain one, by the time flu strain two appears, the vaccine made for flu strain one is no longer effective. And we're supposed to assume because the owner of the Vax company tells us so that the new strain of coronavirus should be under control with this vaccine. You are being lied to. These medical tyrants are getting away with murder. And I wonder how many people in Congress, how many people in Congress own shares in stock in these Vax companies? I'll look into that for another podcast. Now let's listen to Man- Mansef Slawi or Slui. This virus actually mutates as part of its normal behavior, and therefore it is normal to expect that there will be variants. What's very important is to study those variants and understand how infectious they are, whether they have more impact in terms of morbidity or mortality, and critically now, whether they are still sensitive to the vaccines that have been developed. And on those three counts, based on the information shared with us by the UK scientists and early data that we have here, we think that these viruses, these virus variants should be under control with this vaccine. Fortunately, they are not more 
uh, deadly to mm -hmm. the population, they are more infectious and therefore they will further exacerbate the surge that we are having. Listen very carefully to the snake's words. The new strain of coronavirus should be under control. What does he think? He's God. He's going to will it to be under control by this vaccine. He has no idea whether or not the vaccine will affect this uh, new strain or this new iteration or this new mutation, to be specific, of the virus. And yet he's telling you that it should be. Well, science doesn't work with should be. Science works with what is, not what should be. This is another example of medical tyranny and vaccine tyranny at its worst. They are manipulating data to justify medical tyranny to begin with. And now what they're doing is they're lying about the vaccine, saying it's a one-shot cures all. We have no way to know. I don't trust them. In the first few days of vaccine distribution, I may as well say it right now, there were thousands of adverse reactions. I have the data. To the point of people being unable to perform daily activities or requiring medical attention, according to all the data. But you haven't been told about it. Instead, you're reading your stupid newspaper like a parrot. During the testing, there were instances of transverse myelitis, multiple sclerosis. But you didn't read that in the uh, Washington Post, did you? Now, besides the usual toxic ingredients in most vaccines, these coronavirus vaccines use a totally novel platform which pervert not just your normal immune activity, but also alter your genetic machinery. What am I talking about? These vaccines utilize nanoparticles, which probably or likely or already are known to create serious autoimmune responses. Oh, by the way, they forgot to do any animal testing, which is pretty normal before a vaccine is rolled out. No animal testing. They're taking a protein spike of a deadly virus and injecting it into your RNA. How do you like that one? Did you read that in the New York Times, the Washington Post, or the San Francisco Chronicle? No, you didn't. You got it here today on the Savage Nation podcast from Dr. Michael Savage, Ph.D. The next soundbite's even more exasperating for me. Fauci is a great criminal, in my opinion. He is a con man. He is a politician. He is a pitch man for the pharmaceutical industry, in my estimation, going back to the era of the 1980s when I've watched this man. How is it that you idiots who oppose big government, you idiots who oppose bureaucracies, accept the word of a man who survived deep within the bowels of the NIH for over 40 years? Ask yourself how this man can survive so many years in government unless he's put there by very powerful interests. Here's Dr. Anthony Faustus, Dr. Faustus himself. Listen. You know, Chuck, it could and likely will get worse in the next couple of weeks or at least maintain this very terribly high level of infections and deaths that we're seeing. And the reason is that, you know, we're in that situation that we predicted a few weeks ago as you get into the holiday season and people have done a considerable amount of traveling. There's been congregate settings where people innocently and understandably were gathering for social and family uh, get togethers uh, against the uh, advice of, of public health officials like myself, even though it's very difficult to do that when you have a 
holiday, family-oriented season. And then you have the cold weather, people doing things indoors much more than outdoors. And this is what happens. It, it, it's, it's terrible. It's unfortunate. But it was predictable that we were going to see the number of cases that we're seeing now. My concern is that it could get worse over the next couple of weeks as we see the lag that happens when an event occurs like the Christmas and New Year's holiday. You usually have a couple of week lag before you see an additional uptick of cases, which is always followed by hospitalizations and death. You liar, you, you filthy, degenerate liar, you. If you look into CDC statistics, you will find, Dr. Faustus, that less people died from all causes in 2020 than in 2019. You have been playing with statistics to push vaccines. Apparently, Dr. Faustus, you not only cured the flu, you've cured heart disease and cancer. Do you understand what people are doing, these fascist medical tyrants? One last point. Please look at your own experience. Look at what has happened over these very long months in states and countries that have only slightly locked down or not locked down at all. By and large, they're no worse off than California and New York. If you look at it carefully, the opposite is true. Many people are getting sicker from the messaging of Fauci and his vax minions and other psychological effects of prolonged lockdown anti-social distancing and prolonged wearing of masks than they are from the disease itself. We are living through, I would say, the most extreme suppression of civil liberties since slavery. Not one word from the vermin in the ACLU. Home of borders, language, culture, the savage nation. Well, I don't know about you, but after this sound material, which really upset me, but I have an obligation on the Savage Nation podcast to show you what's really being said out there to fight the lies. Let's go back in time to a simpler time and let's go to what I'm known for, which is storytelling. And the story is based on truth rather than lies. What you're about to hear is the second installment of stories about my childhood and how I became who I am called Boy in the Basement. This is part of an ongoing film biography of me being done by a famed cinematographer who created T-Rex for the great Spielberg movies of uh, Jurassic Park. He's a genius. He happens to be very, very interested in my work, and he recorded me in my home. Let's listen to the second part of Boy in the Basement. Okay, ready? Uh, Michael Savage, uh, Boy in the Basement, take two. Working in that basement uh, with Louie. I got to know him, and he was a nice guy. He was the kind of guy who would talk to you like a man, real. You know, there was no, like, son or patron. So for some reason, one day my father invited Louis out to our house in Queens to have dinner with us, which I thought was so out of character and so unusual. I don't know why he did it to this day. And my mother, you know, set the table. We had dinner. We're sitting around, and we're just talking. So Louis says, let me, Michael, you're, you know, I was a skinny little 11-year-old kid. He said, let me show you how to bend the nail. I said, Louis, I can't bend that. Nail was like this, four inch, maybe that big. He said, I'll show you how to bend the nail. He said, you don't have to be strong. I said, what do you mean how to, I can't do it, Louis. He said, well, try it, I can't. He said, yes, you can, let me show you how. He says, put your fingers on the nail, put your thumbs in the center of that nail, and apply all the pressure you can, and don't stop. Keep pressing the center and pulling the ends. And press, 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 and pull the ends. 
He said, if you don't stop the pressure on the center of the nail and you keep it up and keep directing your mind on it and pulling the ends, that nail will bend, it bent. And then Louis explained to me what happened. It was the heat, the molecules, they expanded, the nail expanded and it bent. Now here was a guy who allegedly was a bum, but he was very smart. Just that little thing showed me the intelligence he had. So he taught me how to bend nails. So those are some of the stories. But one last thing on the cyanide. Now, I did not know if cyanide was dangerous. I knew it would cause a caustic effect on my face. But when I became a high school student, I had high school chemistry, I asked my high school teacher, I used cyanide solution to clean my father in my father's story. He said, what are you, what? And he explained to me the two cyanide salts, sodium and potassium, I think. So I went to my father, I said, you realize they use that to kill people at, at, at fucking San Quentin? Or Sing Sing, they drop it in a bucket? So yeah, I knew it all along. He said, but I gave you the good one, not the bad one. There was the, the sodium salt and then the potassium salt. I, got, I said, how'd you know which one? They look the same. So I said, there's the, there's the, Canaan, there's the, the Abraham and Isaac story I was trying to tell you about. What was this? It was like putting a knife to my throat because God told him to make me clean bronzes. So that's the, that's the Abraham and Isaac of my life, and that's really the basement story. There's a little more here and there with a little sex stuff, which I could throw in if you'd like to hear it. Why not? All right, upstairs in the store, it was a marketplace, you see, like the galley of a ship. A long thing, and along the side were five men here and five men there, each had their own stalls. And they sold things, and my father sold the most expensive stuff. But there were men who sold virtually you know, rags, junk, who the hell knows what. Well, one of the guys in the front was Charlie. Charlie, unlike the other men, always wore a proper suit and tie, and his pants were always pressed. I never understood why. See, Charlie was a ladies' man. I didn't know it. So Charlie would always look to bag some of the poor women who would come in. Charlie had one of the stalls inside where I cleaned. I, to this day, I have dreams of it. If you opened another door, there was this thing where they had their uh, basement storage areas. So Charlie had one, and he would have dresses in that he'd buy like for nothing. Hundreds of women's things for nothing at auction, or maybe ripped out of the, taken out of the barrels to throw away. And you get the poor women and say, do you want, um, you want a dress? And he would take them downstairs, march them down the steps, I'm cleaning the bronzes, there goes Charlie with some beat up old woman, and he'd go into the stall, you know, do his number, lift her dress, she'd take her dress up, and then Charlie would go up, the other guys knew what he was doing, and the, I'd hear stuff like, hey, Charlie, you spilled some coffee on your pants. You want some cleaner? You know, that stuff like that. But a kid picks it up collaterally. You know, it was all fun stuff. I mean, there was nothing particularly vile about it. Just the guy who did his thing. But as the years went on, Charlie gets cancer. And I come in, I was in a way, I'd done my thing, got married, moved away, come back, come in the store. I think my, my father must have passed away already. Charlie was still alive and he's sitting in there in his suit and he's sitting in the back of his stall and he's moaning, oh. He was in pain, you see, from the cancer. And as he's there, his eyes are opening like a slit. He's still looking at the people going by, coming in the store. And he'd see a beautiful girl go by. And to his dying day, he would tell jokes about women. He'd see a beautiful girl go by and he'd say, Mickey, he called me Mickey. He said, Mickey, God, Mickey, look at her. I'd love to f her one more time. I said, Charlie, you made it with her? He said, no, one more time I'd like to f her, Mike. Just little stupid, subtle things like that that were funny and they were life. I don't think too many kids have that much fun, do they, today? Yeah. Mike, what about, um, if you don't mind me asking you about the nuns, Trump? Oh. So what were you saying about, you know, your shtick behind the mic? Well, you were saying uh, that sometimes you listen to the show 
and you hear my voice fade out because I'm reaching for something. And I say, I, re I recognize I'm doing it because everyone in radio should remember, and most of them don't, it's performance. It's terrible to listen to other people and talk radio. I mean, tell you the truth, if I wasn't in the business, I would never listen to it. It's static, one-dimensional. It sounds like high school civics teachers who have bad brown suits with tuna fish, st tuna fish stains in lapel for bringing the, you know, the same, you know, I created the Constitution. Like, they wrote it. That's all they do is talk about that. I wouldn't listen to it. So I try to remember that although I can be fiery on politics, it is a performance that must be delivered for the audience to listen to you. So what do you got? You got a voice. So you got to modulate it up and down. You got to change it. You got to yell if you want to yell. Uh, so I fade in and out sometimes, or you'll hear me get a sandwich, or I'll eat on the air. It's like, ugh, that's disgusting. But it's so disgusting that you can't resist listening to the guy eating on air. Like, why is he doing this? Moreover, what am I, crazy? Why am I listening to it? Because it's like talking to a guy in, in his bar, and he happens to be eating while you're talking to him. So what do you see? Do, do you actually, I'm sorry for these, like, point, I know. We got to be roll that. Too. Oh, come on. Look at his master's voice. Look at this. What, honey? He's asking me something. What does Buddy want? He wants to be, oh. You want to be in the movie? Well, Michael, what do you see, what do you see, if you don't mind me asking, what do you see when you're in a room by yourself with a microphone? I mean, when you, but you're talking to all these people. What, what do you envision when you're doing Interesting. I don't know. I don't envision anything. Except what I'm trying to visualize, I'm telling them. I speak pictographically, Steve, and this is something people should understand. It's an Asian concept, you're a language man. The Chinese write pictographically, they write pictographs. I'm an English speaker, but I speak in pictograms. If you actually analyze my words, they're pictures. And so if I get too literal or too linear, I blow it from my, my performance point of view. I should speak pictographically more to really do a show. If I really ideally did a show, it'd be one hour a week with no ads. That would be the ideal. No ads, no stop sets, no nothing. Just tell a story like I'm doing here where I can flow and start to think. Sometimes I will try to envision who is listening. I might think of Steve. I wonder if Steve's doing blacksmithing right now and listening to me. And is he laughing at the Nancy Pelosi cuckoo clock? Or uh, here's my friend who's a big, gigantic guy in the, in the media who no one knows about. He's a shut-in. I know he listens religiously every day, three, day, three hours a day on speaker. And I, I some, he calls me afterwards, he said, I was screaming, I was laughing, he likes my humor. So I try to entertain the few people I can think of who might be listening. I can never think of an audience, because I, I don't know what an audience would look like, right? That's about it. I think you wanted to ask me about the yeah. funeral. So, yeah, let's go back, let's start with Boy in the Basement and some of the other stores, right, that happen to be around you. The number one store around my father's market, the antiques market, was a funeral parlor. It is still there, Nyberg's Funeral Parlor, which you will see in the picture shortly, which Steve is going to B-roll. Well, it was a funeral parlor. And all I knew was there were guys in suits who were very somber-faced who would come in and out doing funerals. And um, I wasn't allowed to go in there. It was just, you can't go in there. None of the men would let me go in there anyway. I would talk to some of the drivers in the street, like Bonnie the driver, always dapper, nicely dressed, quiet, very dignified man. And we wouldn't talk about dead people, I don't know. But you'd see the Cadillacs, you know, coming in. And the, the, the clearance on the sides, as you will see in that picture, were like an inch. As the, because as the cars, the thing must have been built in the 20s, 
the cars got wider. So they had like one inch clearance. So one day, Bonnie let me drive a Cadillac. I must have been 13 years old. No one was around. He said, come here, I'll show you how to drive a Cadillac. He said, you can drive it out if you want. I said, I don't, just do it. You know, they trusted kids in those days. He taught me how to back a car out of a tight space, out of the thing. And I remember one day, <clears throat> I must have been 13, 14. It was a hot summer day. I remember it because the men were wearing undershirts. There was a Coca-Cola icebox on the corner in a bodega deli where you can fish down for the sodas in the thing. In those days, there was no refrigeration for it. It was ice, just ice in the box. And as the ice melted, it became ice water. So as it got lower, you'd reach in for the soda, your hand would turn blue. But that was part of, that was part of the cooling off process in the summer, was to get a blue hand and get a Coke. So it was summer. Well, it was hot. My father was working in that stinking store. Fans were blowing. You couldn't breathe. I don't know why, but Bonnie said, hey, kid, come over here. He said, you're old enough now. He said, do you want to see an autopsy? No, it wasn't called an autopsy, an embalming downstairs. So I said, I don't even know what it was. So he took me down, and there was the guy embalming an old woman. And I, I didn't know what the fuck I was looking at. Like hoses coming out with fluids running out of her. It was weird to see a person who had been a person laying there like that. I come up, I must have looked different in the street. Now remember, it's like coming out of a movie theater when you were a kid. Remember your reality would be changed in a movie theater? And you'd come out in the bright street, and it was like, what? You didn't know what reality was? I must have looked different because I come out in the street, there's my father in the undershirt. Michael, Michael, where were, where were you? And he looked in my face, he knew where I was. I remember he, over, he went over, he didn't yell, but he had some words with Bonnie like, why'd you take the kid down there, that kind of thing. So that was just a big deal, you know. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. That's it for today's podcast. I want to thank you very much for listening. We've covered COVID concentration camps, the Trump tape, and shown you the big lie about that. We've uh, shown you chapter two, or had you listened to chapter two of The Boy in the Basement. And we've done other great new things. Remember this. I'm going to quote something right now. An utterly fearless man is a far more dangerous comrade than a coward. That's Herman Melville, who also said in Moby Dick, I'll have no man on my boat who's not afraid of a whale. But let me tell you something. I'm Michael Savage, and I'm really afraid of whales. However, for those of you who think you're warriors and you don't like utterly fearless men, I found this from an unknown Russian blogger who responded to Herman Melville's statement about an utterly fearless man is far more dangerous uh, than a coward. He said, though an utterly fearless comrade is more preferable than an utterly fearless enemy. Why fortune favors the brave, they take the initiative. And that's true as well. Thanks for listening.